Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Thank you, Father, for this privilege to gather on this Lord's Day and May you be praised, may you be blessed, may you be glorified in Yeshua, Mashiach, our Lord, our Savior. Bless your people, Lord, that are here and those that are watching this morning or whatever their time it is. May you impart, oh God, grace and blessing and touch lives. Touch them today. Bring healing to spirit, soul, body and meet every need according to your riches in glory. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome once again that I hear and thank you for your faithfulness and thank God for his goodness and his mercy. And those that are watching, would you mind sharing this message, this uh, opportunity of this service, of worship service? I was so glad that you could tune in our way and thank you so very much. We began a series particularly in, touch, in uh, tune with what we would be celebrating and what we are celebrating, the Passion Week, and we began with the ointment that we had done a few weeks back, and I'm bringing it back again to be able to use it in a way that speaks to us particularly about the Lord Jesus and in relationship to this uh, sequence of Passion all the way to the cross uh, and Calvary. I want to first mention how important it is because we did the first part that is to do with myrrh and now we're doing the sweet cinnamon. So if you were to turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 30 and verse 23, I wanted to realize it says, Take thou also unto the principal spices of pure, pure myrrh 500 shekels and of sweet cinnamon half so much, even 250 shekels and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels. In the next verse, in 24, and of cassia, 500 shekels, and after shekels of the sanctuary, and of the oil olive in an hin, or a gallon. These are five ingredients that com comprise what would be the only anointing oil, and we will dwell on the second one, which is simply the sweet cinnamon. If you go down to verse 37 of the same chapter, God instructs his people, and as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not, you shall make, not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof, it shall be unto you holy for the Lord, holy for the Lord. So as we begin this message, I want to just tell how important it is Regarding this ointment, it is holy for the Lord. It is ointment, it is anointing, and the passage that we read towards the end, the olive oil simply speaks, which I will talk about, about the Holy Spirit. So when we do this passage, we did the first part, and if you didn't uh, get to it, you can get it on our website. All of the messages, including the notes, are there, including today's notes, are already published there. So basically, you can get to see it and also enjoy as you uh, check out this reference and the Bible references, what it means. But coming back to chapter 30 of 
uh, Exodus and verse 23, let's just look at the first word is myrrh. The second is sweet cinnamon. This is what I would like to talk about this morning. I want you to realize there's only about four scriptures concerning the sweet cinnamon, but I will be going into passages and scriptures. There's too many. I thought I would be able to finish all the nine or ten points today. I just scratched about three, and so a lot of scriptures, so you can always refer back after finishing this. But I want to just say how important this is because it talks very importantly about the new Jerusalem that is the king of kings and the lord of lords and will also talk about the Babylonian system or what would be the king uh, which is Lucifer himself. So two different systems out of what would be the sweet cinnamon, one used for the, for the lord and exclusively for the lord and the other used basically commercially and degraded into what would be for the word and for Satan and what it would mean uh, as you go into the uh, third and fourth part of this message. But coming to this passage, talking about sweet cinnamon, let me just say uh, 90% of uh, cinnamon that, is, uh, that comes to us, which is the genuine one, comes actually from the island of Sri Lanka, or what would be Ceylon, from that we get the word broken down would be uh, simply cinnamon. And so when you look at this, uh, uh, this beautiful uh, oint uh, out of which the ointment comes out, cinnamon is wonderful as long as we realize when it is green, it does not have any fragrance, it does not have any odor nor does it serve any medicinal value. So for it to be useful, for it to be productive, for it to have a, 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 what would be a fragrance, something has to be done. So while it is green, it would be of no service. But a couple of things takes place. One is you have to smite or split it or simply be able to move out the outer, the inner is what is important, and that is basically the inner rind that is inside is uh, dark red. Again, typifying the blood, typifying what would be in the ultimate of the cross and experience. But I want you to understand, it has to go through that uh, period where it is split up, where it is removed, and then it is put out in the sunshine for it to literally uh, dry, die and dry. This is important if you had to get the fragrance. So all of this is a picture of what I would call uh, um, simply about the Lord Jesus Christ and about his experience at the cross. So when you think in terms of drying out, it's almost like a wilderness experience. It's almost like in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ go into the wilderness and there to be tempted. It is probably a time of wilderness for every one of us, especially during these crises before or even during or after the uh, pandemic. But I want you to understand it's very telling, especially these things happen, not because God is unaware. God is still on the throne, but the reason he allows this is an experience for us that is to be able to gain so much because while we realize that our salvation is fully paid for by the atonement for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, everything to do with our reward in heaven is not free. It's not gratis. It's not something that, that basically the blood does. It's basically what we do. And the work is important after salvation. 
We do not work for our salvation, but salvation brings forth a work that glorifies God and touches humanity and people around us. So when we think in terms of reward, this is important. Reward based on how did we react to the action that took place. Uh, reaction is uh, because of an action that has come, pleasant or unpleasant. But remember, all things work together for good, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. So when I'm talking about what would be a time of being split, a time of dying, a time of basically drying out, it simply means uh, down, right there, the sunshine, that which was alive, that which was green has to be plucked off and the inner rind has to be removed and out of that what would come, what is what we have, the stick, which is the sweet cinnamon stick. It is very fragrant. It is also medicinal value. All of it would not be of any avail if it is underplanned, if it is still green. Now, when you think about this, I want you to understand, this speaks to me about the Lord Jesus Christ and the experience that he went through that we call Via Dolorosa, it simply talks about the way of suffering, the way of trail, the way that he takes the cross all the way to Golgotha, Gethsemane, and through Golgotha and on the cross of Calvary. On the cross of Calvary. All of these experiences is, is simply as he begins as a flint, his face is towards Jerusalem. Now, when you come to this passage in John chapter 16 and verse 21, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples, and there in this passage, John chapter 16 and verse 21, um, I'm sorry, it's, uh, um, no, not John chapter 16, let's uh, basically, it's talking about uh, Matthew chapter 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show forth his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem. So it is simply, as he is facing towards Jerusalem, his mind is made up, he will be going to Jerusalem. And in this passage, as well as earlier passages, his disciples just were bewildered. They couldn't understand why he would want to go. They knew what awaited him. They understood what the uh, situations with the Sanhedrins and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes and the Herodians and the Roman soldiers, they all have their differences of opinion. They never agree on basically nothing, except when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, they agreed together to put him to death. So disciples, in fact, in the next couple of verses, Peter is saying, Lord, you should not go. And the Lord Jesus Christ answered, what you got to do with me? Get thee behind Satan. This is not of God. So Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. So they could not understand that this is a very important purpose for why and the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. As great as his teaching, his great life, marvelous example, and healing, and going about doing good, they're all great. But if we were to be blessed by him, healed by him in every aspect, and if he didn't die for us, what would have happened to us? Where is salvation? When uh, we need to understand we die, and after that, the judgment. But thank God that he did not, and he would not keep away from the call. For this reason I came, he told Pilate, that I might give my life, that he would, would go to the cross all the way to die. It's so important. This is not something that was forced on him, but of his own volition, he did this willingly. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. 
for the joy. What joy is in this in suffering? What joy is in this trail of hurt and pain and misunderstanding? Because it is for our salvation. So in the cloud of many witnesses, let us look to Jesus, the author, in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He began it, and through it all, he will also complete it and make perfect that which concerns us. And even though you may be right in the middle of it, going through all of the situations that you are going through, consider this as a drying season. Consider this as a time you are being plucked out of that plant. And just like what would be the inner rind, you need to be able to be put out if you have to bring forth the fragrance that we have been talking about in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ that is reflected in us that comes from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 and verse 15. So from the fragrance of the Lord comes into us that we would be the fragrant uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Father and to those saved and unsaved in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and particularly verse 15. Now, that being said, I want you to understand this is not an easy road. This simply means laying out to be dried, laying out to be smitten off, and all of this is very important. When you look at this passage, uh, Isaiah talks about the Messiah, and this is a powerful scripture particularly reading from uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4, and particularly verse 5. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So this is on the road to what would be Gethsemane. This would be Via Dolorosa. And yet we did not esteem him. Number one, smitten. He's stricken, taken out, green as he is, but is stricken, He's smitten of God, that is God himself. It's not the Jews, it's not the Romans. Ultimately, it's our sin, but it was God it for you and for me and afflicted. And then verse 5 tells us why. He was wounded, number one, our transgressions. He was bruised, number two, for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace of the soul uh, to do with our emotions and etc. And by his stripes, stripped, the tree has to be stripped, the green tree and the, and the, uh, the, the inner trail must be uh, pulled out and be put out to dry. He was by his stripes, he was stripped and by his stripes we are healed. All of this, particularly the first one and the second one, transgressions and iniquities, has to be dealt with and also the peace that he gives to us, peace with God, peace of God, the peace with, within us and peace with one another, all of this accomplished. And again, uh, the salvation then comes with healing as well. All of these are tremendous, powerful. So we're reminded, suddenly you find the sweet aroma. If you go down to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, we just read that. I know they put it up a moment ago. But it's talking about the sweet-smelling aroma that comes to to the Father, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering, number one as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling uh, fragrance or savor or odor 
All of this simply tells us that green plant had to die. The green plant had to dry out. It had to be smitten. It had to be striked out. And when you look at that, what a wonderful way in which the Father did it for you and for me. It was very painful for the Father. And but when you realize Jesus Christ leaves the celestial glory of heaven into a dark and sin-sick world, what would he do it for? for you and for me. Aren't you grateful for that great, great love of God? He didn't do it for Lucifer. He didn't do it for the angels that fell with him. And yet, for man that is made in the image of God, he did, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So you're looking at this uh, sweet, sweet cinnamon, the fragrance and the medicinal by his stripes. He was stripped. Uh, there was healing, medicinal value. So as in the natural, which we talk about the cinnamon, the bark, and all of this laid out and striked and, and then smitten and then taken out to dry through that wilderness, through that road, through that path, uh, going to Gethsemane, going to the cross was so, so tragic. Three-fourths of the Gospels, whether it is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, deals with the time he turns towards Jerusalem, and all of the things, whether before Herod or before Pilate or before the people, all of these, the four writers of the gospel tells us, uh, rather than dwell so much on the miracles and birth and, and the great things he did, this was the climax. This is the reason, because our salvation is because of his atonement, and this is crucial. This is the foundation. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 tells us the foundation, that how that Jesus Christ died, how that he uh, was buried, and how that he rose the third day according to Scripture. So this is a very important part of our Scripture, centered upon his death, his burial, resurrection. So in communion and so in baptism, all of this plays out never so that we would never forget, although how prone we are to forget this, as often as you eat this bread, you do show forth or publicly proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is very important. Now that being said, let me just say what and how does it involve us? How does that apply to us? While the, the Lord Jesus Christ was smitten and was uh, laid out to hang on Calvary's cross, and he died, was buried, and rose again, we are told to take up the cross, but not for our salvation, not literally going down to Gethsemane or into uh, Golgotha, but simply taking up the cross is a little different, for, not for our salvation. As a result of salvation, we work out our salvation with the works. And no matter what we go through, we through like the green plant literally has to be uh, taken out and dried out and through that situation so that we would die to flesh, die to the old man and live and walk with the Lord in the spirit. So the Lord Jesus Christ is now speaking to his disciples and look at the words that he says to his disciples and to each one of us. That's again found in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. When you look into this passage, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny 
himself and take up a cross and follow me. So this denying is being smitten. This denying is simply being uprooted from that green plan that is our self and to come out and to die to ourselves and to take up the cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about that, you're realizing the, uh, from the epistles what uh, an amazing uh, passages you find regarding our walk with the Lord, regarding our dying to the self, regarding taking up the cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a principle, particularly in John chapter 12 and verse 24. Listen to what he says about that corn of wheat. And this is what he said, verily, verily, when you hear two times verily or surely, it means important, important. I say unto you, except, except, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In other words, that seed, if you keep it in your hand, if you put it in basically a locker room or put it in the showcase, it would just be showcase, just a showing and tell. But once you put it down on the ground, what would happen is it has to die. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. Elsewhere, the episode, the, the, we are told 30, 60, or 100 fold. And to have a bumper crop of this, this is so very important. So it is an opportunity for all of us. It is not forced upon us. Just like Jesus Christ went to the cross, we willingly take up the cross so that we would die to self and we would live for the Lord and to be able to walk in the Spirit. Our walk in the Spirit is literally, completely, totally opposed by the flesh, the old man. As long as we entertain and feed the old man, the less we will hear of the Holy Spirit and less we will feel compelled by the Holy Spirit. We tend to really ignore the Holy Spirit only because the call of the wild nature, the base nature, the flesh, is more stronger because of whom we feed rather than the spirit. So walk in the spirit simply means it calls to die in the flesh to be able to be alive with the Lord and walk in the spirit. In other words, Paul is talking about how he desires to walk with the Lord and the power of his resurrection. All that he writes about that I might win him, that I might know him. This all is very important. And yet he tells us, tells us something, the deep passion of his life. In so doing, he tells us something of his own experience, how he died to himself. A great like man like Paul, mightily used of God, if you know his secret, he tells about this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. If you read this passage, it says that I might know him the power of his resurrection. But listen to what he says, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. That experience we don't like. We want to talk about prosperity. We want to talk about the power of his resurrection. Those are important, but we cannot completely dismiss a very important part before the power of his resurrection. That is simply the fellowship of his suffering and taking up the cross and being made comfortable unto his death. That is not very popular, so dying to self is not. But Paul has been 
one of the greatest uh, servant of God, mightily used, mightily used of the Holy Spirit. He could hear the Holy Spirit speak. It's not what you call the modern day, quote and unquote, apostle moving by strength and moving and doing something and all for publicity's sake. He did it for the Lord, that is Paul. How did he manage? What was the secret? If you were to underline this, you can find this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Listen to what he says in this passage, almost telling a secret to his walking in the Spirit, to his doing what he did for the Lord. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in this, he begins to tell us this walk in the Spirit. In this, he's telling us how that is accomplished by dying and simply that, except that corn of wheat fall to the ground. It simply is what Jesus, our Lord, is saying, take up the cross and follow him. And this is what we call this, the first part of it, the ointment that comes the, from the sweet cinnamon, it has to go through that experience of simply being stripped, of simply being laid out to dry out till die it dies, till that red dark becomes what would be totally, uh, totally different will be what you would look into uh, the cinnamon dried out, and then you find that cinnamon has the properties for healing. Uh, that is a medicinal value, but more important, it has that sweet fragrance, the odor, and that would be the savour that is pleasing to God and that we should exhibit through the mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this ointment, a myrrh talks about the Lord. Now we're talking about the sweet cinnamon. It would not be sweet if it had not gone and would refuse to go through that process. And as the Lord did, so are we called to do. The Lord goes to the cross for us, but we go to the cross that we would die to flesh and that would be risen in the newness of life and walk in the spirit of, God, of the Lord Jesus. Now that being one, number two, I want you to understand that there's a two aspect and I will be relating not today, but more so in uh, God willing in the next talk about two aspects of what we will see in just a short while. It is to do with the city or the new Jerusalem, King Jesus in control, and we are a subject. Even though we live in this world, we are not of this world. We are citizens of two worlds. Ultimately, we are in total and complete the citizen of the family of God in heaven. That is the ultimate and that's the eternal. One day the city will die down, but this city that we go to, that we're talking about, the city of God, it is called New Jerusalem. It's nothing to do with Jerusalem, which is down there in Israel, but the New Jerusalem will come in the Jerusalem and then would be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But in the meantime, there's an entity that tries so much vainly, huffed and puffed up, to create an atmosphere that he is. He counterfeits everything that God does, and his name is Lucifer, that is Satan, and he has a kingdom, and you can read it so forth. It is typified in Nimrod, and you can find that the kingdom of Babylon. Nimrod actually had two. One was simply there in uh, 
the Babel, which comes out of Assyria, the capital is Nineveh, and then, of course, the capital of uh, the Babylonian Empire, which the capital is Babylon. So you're going to find everything that you see in this world. It's either the kingdom of God, which repre represented by the Lord Jesus Christ, New Jerusalem, or what would be the kingdom of this world, ultimately it would be judged. It is with the power and the influence of satanic host and the Babylonian system. Many people try to identify Babylon as the city around four or seven hills. It could be just about any city. It could be about in any place in the world. It is not per se a city. It is a system. And we need to understand how difficult that would be because when John was writing, he couldn't identify any particular praise. Uh, he had to be very uh, writing it in types and figures and speech. But he talks about a city, but loosely put, it is a system. It is here in New York, as it is in Peking, as it is in, um, in Russia. It is in every place around the globe. It's a whole system that is totally in rebellion and opposed to the kingdom of God. So as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray to the Father, and this is how we pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We are embassies or ambassadors of that kingdom while we are in this kingdom of this earth, and we do function in our citizenship. As, uh, proud, as citizens, we need to fulfill the duty as representative of the kingdom. But while doing that, we're always pointing to looking for that city that Abraham looked for, whose builder and founder is God. And that city called New Jerusalem is the capital. That capital from heaven will come down, and we are part of that great centrality of that New Jerusalem. We're not a puppet king or some sort of a president or prime minister of Israel or Jerusalem. No, it is the King Jesus. And then there will be peace in the valley. There will be peace in the cities. There will be peace among people. And this is the desire of all nations. But that ultimate comes to a realization only when the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Now, when I talk about this, number two, I want to talk about the two different aspects of what would be the sons or children of God and children of the world. Or I would call, call it the bride of Christ and the bride of the Antichrist. So when you look at it, you're going to look at the first one, simply put, what is the anointment? It is holy and it is unto the Lord. So when you read this, uh, the composition of, the, uh, of this beautiful holy anointment. Let's read that again in Exodus chapter 30, 23 and verse 24. And this is what God is saying, that thou shalt take unto you principal spices of pure myrrh, and then goes on to talk about uh, sweet, uh, uh, the sweet cinnamon, and then talks about the sweet calamus. And in verse 24, it goes on to talk about the cassia, number four, and then fifth one, the oil, that is olive oil. And all of these things in this proportion becomes holy unto the Lord. And so you can read out of this passage many others. It is where for the priest to be anointed, the temple to be anointed, the prophets to be anointed, the kings to be anointed, special anointings of people 
The anointing is exclusively for God's purpose, and it is for peculiarly and particularly for God's people, not for strangers, not for sale, not for counterfeiting. So let's read that verse 37, the specifically God is instructing Moses. He says, as for this perfume, which thou shalt make, you shalt make, you shall not make for yourself according to the composition thereof, it shall be unto you holy for the Lord. Now, when you think about it, number one, this is supposed to be for the body of Christ in the Old Testament for Israel, in the New Testament for the bride of Christ. Now, when you look at the other part of it, you're going to find the bride of Christ is a beautiful love story between God and his people in the Old Testament, between Christ and his church in the New Testament. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the love between a man and his wife, and then Paul's really saying this is speaking about the love of Christ to his church. Paul, you just talked about a husband and a wife and the filial responsibility and uh, faithfulness and submission and all of that, and now you bring it up, he says, actually, I'm talking about Christ and his church. Even though it's not the most perfect example, this is the best you could find, like a relationship of a father to the son. He, God uses as a father, loves his son, and so forth. Now here is Christ towards Christ's love towards the church. Now when you read this in the New Testament, you're reminded of what would be the perfect love story in a beautiful garden, just like we fell off a garden, God brings us into this beautiful uh, pristine garden, and there in the Songs of Solomon, the love that he gives. Of course, in the literal sense, it was between Solomon and the Shulamite woman that he loved. But here, why would God put this in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, for the simple reason that it's an example like Paul wrote, a type, a symbol, a shadow, simply speaking of greater things. And here is God's love or Christ's love for his church. Now when you come to Psalms of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 1, look at the express love that he has. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. You have dove's eyes. And so in the eyes of God, you are beautiful. You don't have to impress people in the world. You can never out-impress them. You'll always realize they keep changing the fashion. One time this was right, the other thing is right. Listen to me, my friend. You're just perfect before God. God loved you with an everlasting love. Don't look down on yourself. You are precious to God, and your life is valuable to God. He made you, and in his image, he made you. So when you think about this, look what he says in the same chapter, chapter 4 of Songs of Solomon, and verse 14. This is so beautiful. Spinkened and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes and all the chief spices. So in this beautiful garden, you're smelling the fragrance. You're seeing the abundance of that love. All of this, like, how could I tell you, in the olden days when we used to watch as kids the Hindi movies, they never had a kissing scene. My goodness, now it's past beyond that, okay? But in those days, you'd see the man and woman running around the tree, running around. It's classical Bollywood with a whole lot of songs in it, just so that you wouldn't uh, go to sleep. They come to kiss each other, and they don't touch lips. Suddenly, you see beautiful butterflies running around. So it's a symbolic way of saying they are in love. That's the way you understand it, at least when we were kids. Today, I shudder to look at some movies. They're far outgrown. 
in so much way beyond decency like the Western Hollywood. But I want you to realize when you look at these beautiful flowers and, spice and spices and the fragrance and the beauty around it, you're reminded of what would be the pristine glory of that love relationship God had with the first man and first woman. It is like God walked in the cool of the day and he communed with the first man and the first woman. What a beautiful setting. And this is what would be symbolic of that in our relationship with God as God who loves us and God who is a father, doting father. God is indulgent in his love and is giving in so much in such goodness and love. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. And then in the New Testament, God is good, his mercy endureth forever. And grace and peace because of the Lord Jesus, because God's righteousness was matched with his mercy on the cross. And that's a beautiful expression of that love God reaches out to us. Now, that being said, this is what I call that part of Zion, or that part of what I call New Jerusalem, or the city of God, or what would be from the King Jesus and his people. But when you come to another passage of the same situation, you're going to find, but it is a totally different. It is from a satanic and from his people. So when you look at Proverbs chapter 7, 17 to verse 19, look at the way a deception it is simply out of that, all the spices, it is all put into a different use, not for God, not for the anointment that is exclusively for his people, for God's glory, but it says, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. What is the purpose? Goes on to say in verse 13, come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. What's wrong with that? Because the husband or the boyfriend is not in town. And the next verse goes on to say, for the good man is not at home. He's gone a long journey. Let us do what we want. That's exactly what Satan does in splitting up homes and marriages and so forth. So this is an ointment that you find in verse uh, uh, 17, all of this making the bed alluring, making all of the illicit relationship, that is the satanic kingdom of, uh, of, of, um, of what would be Babylon. So you're looking at two different aspects. Now, the third I want you to, I want to go into, and I want you to know this is something very important because I'll be dwelling on it in the next couple of verses, although I only have four passages in the book of the Bible about uh, sweet cinnamon, but yet it speaks like everything else, like myrrh and others speak so much about the Lord Jesus and should speak to us as well. Now I want you to realize when you go back to Exodus chapter 30 and verse 23, the first is myrrh, the second is sweet cinnamon, the third is basically calamus, and then you have caseria, and the fifth one is the oil of uh, olive. Now, the second one is talking about cinnamon. This is very important. Now, I want to come down to what would be the last book of the Bible and take you from there what is found uh, in the Old Testament, moving into the Old Testament, and from there you see the difference between what would the book of Revelation talks about, the New Jerusalem, as opposed to simply the kingdom of Babylon. And we are living in this two system 
One is God's kingdom as we come to the cross and accept the Lord Jesus, and then the other, diametrically opposed, is the kingdom of Babylon, whose king is Lucifer. So I want to just I want you to check this out in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 18, uh, verse 13, uh, verse 18, Revelation 18 and verse 13. Look at this passage carefully. It says, and cinnamon, and odors of fragrance, or uh, and or, and ointments. So we're talking about something just exactly like the sweet ointment, the holy ointment. Oh, hold your horses. This is totally different. Because you're looking at this, what it has been counterfeited, it is basically copied out, but it is not to uh, bless the Lord. It is not for the kingdom of God. It is not for the glory of, of, the, of God eternal, but it is for satanic host. So when you look at this, and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. I don't think you get it. It gives you a whole lot of merchandise, and it looks simple enough. It talks about cinnamon, the fragrance. It talks about ointments. It talks about frankincense. It talks about wine. It talks about oil. All of this is simply used for the express purpose of glorifying God and making uh, our life better, like oil makes the face to shine, or what would be brings laughter or brings joy. All of this full expression that you find in the prophets and also in the minor prophets like Joel, the new wine, the new wheat, and the water is full, and so forth and so forth, a refreshing, a revival, a renewal. But here you're going to think that has nothing to do with this. It is for the glory of a kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom. You mean to say the ointment? No, it's not holy. It's an unholy. Just like there is Christ, there's an antichrist. Just like there is a dance and worship and music, both in terms of worship to God and also to express and good music that puts our mood at right. The good music and songs is just awesome. You have bad dance and bad music that basically sends Satan into our life and the influence of Satan and the um, an unbelievable way that many young people are exposed to gives full vent to all of the powers of evil. How did they come into a home where there's prayer, there's Bible reading, the kid just opened himself to a whole seeing, to a whole force of Satan coming through what he's hearing is the dance, is the music, it's sensual. It is not even a plain good dance that you have in the olden days. It is purely to do with satanic, it's bringing together such vileness. But that is not the only thing I'm talking about. Among the wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots, slaves, that, you got it correct. And souls of men, you got it correct. You see, my friend, when you turn to chapter 17 and verse 1, Right off the bat, we're talking about what would be satanic or Babylonian. And this is what God begins by saying in chapter 17 and verse 1. I'm going to show you what shall come to pass and saying, I will show you thee the judgment of the great hole that sits upon the many waters. So it is right off the bat, God is saying, I'm going to tell you what's going to take place. This is the counterfeit. This is everything that is wrong. The things that God created, music and dance and poetry and everything that you see that should have been positive, 
either to bless God or to bless us, has been turned into defined Satan, defined flesh, everything that is taken out of what would be originally meant to be and moved to literally honor and glorify Satan. So suddenly you find in Brazil, what would be the season of Lent uh, you have thousands of people basically worshiping Satan. Or you could find in the award-winning in, in the United States, people who would sing in the church choir, standing up with a woman, literally honoring Satan. Uh, is it unusual? No, it is two different worlds. So some of the folks who should not be there are one Sunday morning worshiping God, and then on the other, sitting as background, defying and taking Satan, the Babylonian system. I will talk about it at length while talking about what would be the New Jerusalem and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the spurious kingdom, which we call the Babylonian system and the King of Babylon. Now, I want you to look back into that chapter 18 of Revelation and verse 13 again. Look at the last two words. It looks harmless until you come here, slaves and souls of men. That is satanic plan. The selling, not only of wheat and calamus, including the ointment, counterfeiting, and all of this together with beasts and slaves and souls of men. I want, you, I want to expose the plan of Satan, the Babylonian systems that he's using across the world. Now, just so that you would know, in chapter 18 and verse 23, you're going to find this merchandise. This is a great profitable business. And the light of the candle, so forth and so forth. And but it says here, for thy merchants were great men of the earth. They basically made a lot of money by sorceries, were all nations deceived by sorceries. Now, by no means I'm trying to hit at the pharmacy, but I want you to know the word sorcery in Greek is simply paramika, from where we get pharmacy. And when you look at two big components of prophets, whether it's in, at all times, particularly in the wartime, these are the two industries. One is the war machine and the other is the pharmaceutical business. I'm all for vaccine, but when they make vaccine compulsory, that you will not get a job, that you cannot go to your work, that you cannot get your uh, things stamped, all because you don't have, I have people here in the church and I could say, listen, you gotta pray to God. The fact of the matter is if you didn't get, you did not get a job, you cannot go back to work. That's simply, it's not the mark of, of 666, but simply leading us to this, the power of what to do, Babylonian clout that could stop you before 666 comes from getting a job, from flying overseas, seeing someone in your family loved overseas because they will, let you, will not let you fly, not let you play. Even the table tennis or badminton or lawn tennis, which basically one of the top players were not allowed to play. All this draconian law comes about because of, by the way, how much does the pharmacy, an unknown company like Mordena, is simply a billion dollar. Or look at this company, Pfizer, the man on top didn't take vaccine, and yet you think about it in billions. And right now as I speak, 
every war that nations have done, including us, it has profited the people on the top. It has great merchants into billions of dollars, and we are one of those war-making missions that we basically know that people on the top, whether you be Republican or Democrat or Independent, you have advisors. They have put you up there. They have given you all that millions. They want to pay back, and now you are on the office. You're paying back. So it is Iraq. Oops, I made a mistake. Your mistake has cost so many lives, including our own men's life. Libya, oops, I made a mistake. No, you didn't make a mistake. Oops, we're going into Ukraine, one of the most corrupt nations in the world, and trillions of dollars while Americans are dying, do not have a job. Oops, we have to do this to save ourselves. No, it is a proxy war, and we are not in any way capable to, for, to face two big giants, China and Russia. I want you to understand, Russia has done bad. What we have done worse as well in the past, bombing, carpet bombing. And I want you to know it doesn't matter which party does it, but it does it because it's a payback. You've got to go payback. Big pharmaceutical and big, big war missions who are making trillions. So while people are losing their job, right in the background are people making their big pile of money at the cost of lives being spent. Slaves, you talk about slaves, oh yes, this was there in the 15th century, 16th century, 17th century. A war that was created unnecessarily. None of the folks that bombed 9-11 or Pentagon were from Iraq. In fact, two countries that opposed the extremities was basically Iraq and Gaddafi in Libya, and yet we fought with them. You think they had weapons of war? No, not at all. We wanted to sell arms, we wanted to make money. But in the meantime, we created such a havoc as well as in Libya. One was by a Republican, the other was a Democrat. And yet I want to understand the slelling of slaves and people that are largely from Africa, almost all of them Christians, were sold as shuttle, as sold as slaves. And we watched doing nothing. What happens is because of the war we created, the problems we created, it's almost like on the chopping blocks, slaves, slaves, slaves. You thought that was in the past? I'm talking about just three years ago. Literally, as, an, as, as a result of unnecessary war. In the meantime, while all this is happening across the world, we made our pile of money. Pharmaceutical have made their money. War missionaries made their money. So let's go back to chapter 18 of the book of Revelation and verse 23. Towards the uh, 13 says, and verse 23, for thy, yes, verse 23, go ahead back to 23. For thy sorceries were all the nations deceived. So, I've taken vaccine, I'm glad for that, and I advocated the church take vaccine. But listen to me, if you didn't take vaccine, you should not be denied work, travel, nowhere. It simply means telling you there's someone on the top trying to direct your life. You've got to take vaccine. For what? So two companies can make their pile of money at your cost, at your cost, and at your cost? Is that right? But I want you to realize something else when you read in Exodus chapter 28, in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 16. We're talking about Satan here, and I will come to that in just a moment. 
by the multitude of your merchandise have they filled the midst of this earth with violence we have filled the earth well we are pretending you cannot have arms you cannot carry a rifle to basically do a happy hunting but while you're doing that the same people are producing guns that is not only in the inner city but all the way into mexico and wherever there is gun violence we produce the guns but then not just simply the rifle but heavy machine guns to carpet bomb nations not because they did anything to us we just felt we could make money and simply these war machines simply says they have filled the midst of the violence that thou hast sinned therefore I'll cast thee out as a prophet of the mountains talking about behind it all is Satan so you can understand where this uh, cherub who turned out to be a spoiled uh, vain and profane and what would be proud person that controls this what would be the kingdom of Babylon or the Babylonian system that's all across the world but a particular country everywhere if you think Russia and China think again it's also America and also India and uh, Pakistan and just name any country the power they be is controlled by a Babylonian lord and king and that's why things it's get worse and worse before the coming of the Lord Jesus and things are going to be vile i want you to understand at one time we could listen to a song even if it was not spiritual song it was pure love now it is simply such from the pits of hell you listen to one and you don't want to suddenly you see a movie it's such beautiful suddenly they bring in literally cursing the lord jesus the handlers of musicians specifically tell whether it be actors actresses or whether singers this is what you must do and they're being choked and forced into something that they really have to do if they have to make money and so understand the system by which merchandise merchants making pile of money so you have rap songs but behind it all are people making money trying to put the vilest full they say oh we hate violence and almost all the songs they want them to sing are filled with sex violence rape and so and and expressions f jesus christ where do you think this expression come these are things that come into what would be a family movie and boom that word comes why would they do that it is the kingdom of babylon or babylonian system controlled by satan so when you look in this passage let's go to what would be chapter 18 and i talked about chapter 17 being what would be the kingdom of uh, babylon but when you go to revelation chapter 21 and verse 7 or verse 9 but we'll just look into it let's look at verse 7 and here you are talking about him that all can uh, revelation chapter 21 verse 9 probably it's talking about I John saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down from god out of heaven prepared prepared as a bride adorned adorned for her husband two types of people adorned for satan or adorned as a bride for christ the coming king of glory now when you turn to chapter 18 of the book of revelation 
right off the back, you're going to find what is this that we're talking about selling of wheat, selling of oil, selling of the uh, things that were not to be imitated, not to be counterfeit, not to be copied, ends up in chariots and slaves and souls of men. What could that be? Let's just do it before we close. In, okay, we just got, we've not even started. So when you go to Revelation chapter 80, uh, 18, verse 2, the first thing that you're going to find, he cried with a mighty, mighty voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen and has become the habitation. So number one, this system is the habitation of the devils and hold of every foul spirit and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So this, what would be the holy calamus or what would be the holy myrrh or what would be the sweet cinnamon which was exclusively meant for God and meant to be an anointing is become anything but an anointing. It is a fake, it is a counterfeit, it is done this, listen to this, habitations of devils and the hold of foul spirit and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Denoting the hate that Satan has upon people and people think, wow, he's my best friend. He hates you with such hatred, he wants to send you to hell. He, misery loves company, and he's going to hell. He doesn't want to go alone. He wants to take you to hell and shows you what beautiful picture of music it is. While the pipe piper of Hamlin is setting his music, he's got a lot of children walking after him who do not know their right hand from their left hand. But you're looking at this habitations of the devil. That is the kingdom the habitations of the devil, and of every foul, evil, filthy spirit. So you can understand where this music and where this lyric, it doesn't just come from the heart of man, it comes from the pit of hell, from a Babylonian kingdom that has such looted hate and filled with such vitriolic hatred and terrible situation. And so when you see it's a cage of unclean and hateful bird, you know, you, you, the parable of the Lord Jesus talk about the seed and then it becomes a tree and then birds come. And this is the foul, hateful bird that comes to wreck the tree. Or the Lord Jesus talked about the sower goes out to sow and then some fall on good ground, some fall on basically a hard ground, but some fall into wilderness where the birds come in. And at one time when Abraham was giving sacrifice, suddenly the birds came to eat and he had to chase away the birds. The birds or the unclean birds, hateful birds, are satanic way of taking faith, of taking. He is the God of this world. Now number two, I want you to understand, is found in verse three, and this is talking about spiritual as well as real hoedoms. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth. So you're looking at, I'll be talking about military power, political power, merchants' power, and ultimately the power that is of might of, uh, of observing our family and our children and people's own mind. So you are not doing it of your own volition, but you are being forced to do. Ultimately, 666 is what the number would be. I'll be talking about that. 
But when you look at this thing, they have drunk of it, and the merchants of the earth have waxed rich, have waxed rich of the abundance of her delicacies. So when you're looking at, I love people to go into business, I wish for Christians to go into business, but I'm going to tell you that you are not going to live in a swanky place up in Beverly Hill or somewhere massive with money like billions of dollars uh, that is basically ill-gotten wealth, and that is how Satan brings about and fulfills those who make an oath to him at the cost of their soul. Their soul is being sold. They're going to wake up in hell. It's alas too late because they have made a pact with Satan, their king. And they're so difficult unless the blood of Jesus breaks that through and the anointing of the Spirit of God breaks it through. So whatever happens, do not make a pact with devil. Number three, I want you to know, this is another, an arrogance and pride in verse 7. Listen to what verse 7 says. How much she glorified herself. Almost all the war, almost all the things that's taking place is out of pride. If there's anything you can say, Satan did not fall because of sin of flesh or the sin of the spirit. It was pride, the sin of the spirit, the uh, sin of the soul, but it was pride, the sin of the spirit that knocked him down. Here you find what in, uh, uh, it's described as one of the great characteristics of this Babylonian kingdom with Lucifer at the head, the king and master, so he wants to be, is pride. And that is what knocked him down. You know, when you go into this passage uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, earlier to that passage, Daniel had told him the vision, what will you do? Don't be like that tree that will be cut. And soon a year passes, and as he walked around the palace, the king said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the, of the kingdom, his kingdom, not God's kingdom, by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty? That very moment he said this word, and the next verse, that is it. Uh, your kingdom is departed from you until he came to himself. He was like an animal never looking up, looking down, eating grass. And that is a very humbling experience. What you're going to find is again and again, you're going to find so much written about it. In Revelation, for example, in chapter 16 and verse 18, pride goeth before a downfall, very sure. And this has basically been the sad situation of people that have jumped into this crazy bandwagon called pride and then found out they've floundered, they've gone into the abyss. And this is so tragic. But where did it come from? When you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14 and verse 13, talking about Satan, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into hell. I will, I will, I will. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of, trans of congregation, the sides of the north. When you read Ezekiel chapter 28, reading from verse 14 to verse 17, listen to this, what he says. He says, thou, God says to him, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, that I have set you so, such a great anointed place. That sweet anointing that he excludes was for the glory of God, but he took it for himself. 
Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And then in verse, uh, next verse, verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created until iniquity was found in you. What iniquity? You realize it was pride. He wanted the very position of God. In the next verse, verse 16, By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned, and therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain, not, not holy, but profane. This is what he used, should have been used for God. It is profane. You look at the music, you look at the lyrics, you look at the words, you look at the movie, you look at the things today in the world. One word to describe most of it, profane, out of the mountain of God, I will destroy you, O covering cherub, thou that sits in the midst of the stone. Verse 17 goes on to say, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted the wisdom by reason of the brightness. I will cast you into the ground. I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. So when you look at this passage, you know what? It's very tragic. But let me take you to verse 3. We are going back to Revelation and verse 4 and verse 5. When you read Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, for all nations have drunk of the wine of fornication uh, and so forth, and the merchants wax. Now, when you go down to verse 4, listen to what it says. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of a sin that you receive not of her place. Keep that word. I'll come back to that much later. In verse 5, goes on to say, and her sins have reached to heaven, and God had remembered her iniquities. It is like a strange. And God says, that's it. There comes a time when God says, not anymore, I'm wet. Do you see, my friend? The flood didn't take place overnight. God extended his mercy. God extended. God is long-suffering, but a day will come. He says, enough is enough. And then comes first with water, and then finally with fire. What you're going to find is uh, come out of her. You know, when you turn to Genesis chapter 19 and verse 16, you remember? Lot chose Sodom, and his uncle was worried. Lot said, no, no, I won't go anywhere near. I'll just be there. As long as you remain clean, that's fine. Soon he was elected. He was in the very gate, a member of what would be the great crowd. And so he was fashionable as any sinful uh, always want to be like the Sodom without being that. And so you find in the city this man progressing until one day the angels came. God said, enough is enough. And before there would be fire and sulfur, God said, push Lot out. And it simply says, while he lingered, that is, uh, Lot and his family, the men that the angel laid hold upon him, upon the end of his wife, upon the end of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful unto him, they brought him out and set him with the city. And God said, don't look back. But here is madam looking back to see if she lost anything. You're going to lose nothing. You saved out of the skin of your very life. Just walk away from this system. But she was not satisfied. Come out, God says. And this is a very stern warning even to us today, because when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul is writing to the Corinth. And Corinth was a lifestyle that was like New York. But nevertheless, out of that comes God's people. And he's saying, don't be Corinthized. Don't be Babylonianized. 
Just be who you are and live in life. They were not perfect by no stretch of imagination. They came from many bad situations, but God is taking them from glory to glory. Wherefore, come out from among them, be you separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I want you to realize we live in a day when it's getting more and more difficult. We are in the world, Christ said, they are in the world, and we are not of this world. This is the difference. We have to do what we have to do and fulfill our obligations as fathers, mothers, children, teachers, jobs, and citizens. We have to, but in all the while, we're called to be ambassadors in a world in which we know is no escape. We need to realize that we live in this world. We may be the last point of contact for somebody before he dies. We may be the last person that he meets with, and we need to keep that in mind. And so we have an anointing. We have what would be the ointment, and God is filled up with this ointment. And I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. This ointment that is Bible says, uh, always causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest the fragrance of his knowledge to us in every place. Not simply in verse 15 to the saved, but also to those that are unsaved. At this point of time, I want you to understand next week, God willing, I'll be talking about the comparison between the kingdom of God, New Jerusalem, and one day we will be before the throne room of God, enjoying the awesome presence of God. I want you to realize what is so important is the difference and characteristic of this kingdom. When you go to Genesis chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, you're going to see the origin of this kingdom. He was a mighty hunter, talking about Nimrod. And not just hunting animals, no, no. Like Ganges Khan, he was hunting men to enslave them. Were all born as creatures of God, created in his image, but here was one, hunting to get free work out of people. Even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, he was before God shameless. And then verse 10 tells us, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, that opposed to New Jerusalem. What is New Jerusalem? Ultimately, in heaven, the center of everything, while on earth, the throne room of heaven comes down, and the New Jerusalem, but when you look at it, ultimate filiality and our ultimate obedience is to the one that John says in chapter 4, a book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 3. Look at how he describes this. He goes on to say, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on the throne. And what it says is, he that sat on the throne looked look upon like Jasper. Nobody could describe him. But one day, just as Adam and Eve in the pristine glory recognized and walked with him, we will walk with him. When Jesus rose again from the dead, the first message he gave was, go tell my brother and your brother, my father and your father, father of our Lord Jesus Christ is now our father, that we can say father. We're part and parcel of the kingdom of God. He is the center. Now I want you to realize something very important, that when we come to him, this is something of our own volition that we're doing, and we're doing not because we're forced as slaves. And while these, this 
evil power forces people and rules with force. And yet when you look at what God does, he gives us freedom in the spirit. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 and verse 18. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. In other words, we are not forced. We're doing it from our spirit. Goes on to say in verse 18, but we with open face, one day beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the image from glory to glory as by the spirit of God. We're going to be changed. And what happens is, despite the outward man, we are moved by the spirit. And this is what it is all about. When you turn to as the choir comes in, in John chapter 4 and verse 23, look what Jesus our Lord is saying, but the hour cometh and now is. We don't know when, but soon and very soon, this kingdom of Babylonian kingdom will be destroyed. But the hour cometh, but you don't wait till that hour, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as to worship. The very day Jesus Christ died, the curtain fell, and we go into the innermost, innermost, and we worship the Father in spirit and truth. Verse 24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're not forced to, like Satan forces his people. We're not slaves. We're not chattels. We're not even souls that are being sold at an auction. Jesus saved our soul and we will forever worship the Father in spirit and in truth in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. You're anointed of God. Let the fragrance of God go back to him and let the fragrance reach out to those that are saved and those that are unsaved in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.